Hi, this is Dana Stevens, Slate's movie critic, and I'm here with the Slate Spoiler Special podcast on The Skin I Live In, the new Pedro Almodovar movie. And here with me in the studio, to my great delight, is June Thomas. Hi, June. Hey, Dana. Thanks for having me. And June, you are truly my ideal candidate for this podcast, um, both because I love to podcast with you about anything, but because you speak fluent Spanish, you have lived in Spain, and you are currently writing a completist column for Slate on Pedro Almodovar, which means that you're seeing all of his movies and ranking them in order and writing about his entire oeuvre. Right, exactly. I've been made insane by him, mm-hmm. <laughs> like many of his characters. So you're basically in the state of the protagonist of this movie at the end of the movie? Exactly. If we even know who the protagonist is, actually. Um, So I usually start off a spoiler with a quick, just thumbs up, thumbs down type reaction. I don't know myself yet whether I loved this movie or not. I don't think it's, you know, the most accomplished and best Almodovar movie I've ever seen, but... Mm -hmm. It's so its own thing. I think I have to say that I admire it tremendously. That was exactly the verb that I was going to use. It's funny because it's kind of the conclusion of my completist, so everyone, check it out, uh, where, you know, what it boils down to with Almodovar is that he has an endless, apparently, determination to worry and worry at themes. He just keeps coming back to the same thing again and again. And he does that in this movie. There are some, you know, he's, he's... you know, working on his bone for a good number, a good part of this film. And yet, even though there are like 10 elements that are common to his other movies, this film is so different from any other Well, what film. he said in the Q&A, he was actually at the screening I saw yesterday, which Amazing. was a surprise. I didn't know he was going to ah. be there. He and Antonio Banderas, oh, is one of the main actors, and Elena Anaya, the other lead mm-hmm. role, were all there. And, uh, and it was really interesting to hear him talk, both because he speaks in this poetic, free associative way, and because he was saying... He wasn't talking so much about worrying his bone because I guess he probably doesn't want to think about himself right. as returning to the right. same ticks. But he was saying that it was his first time experimenting with the horror genre. And you've seen, having seen all of his movies now, I guess you can attest to whether that's true or not. But this movie is full of horror elements. Absolutely. All right. Well, so let's get into the weird story of The Skin I Live In. So we begin – I do love that this movie kind of functions as a puzzle and that it takes a very long time to put all of this together. Yeah. But So we're going to try to do it now. We begin in, uh, I think, the town of Toledo, right? Yes. On, on, in this beautiful kind of uh, mansion sort of set aside from the town. Right. And uh, and in this mansion, there's a very strange domestic situation going on, which is not explained, which it takes us a long time to put together why these people are living in this way. Mm-hmm. So there's a there's a servant in the kitchen played by Marisa Paredes, a longtime mm-hmm. collaborator of, of Almodovar. Absolutely. And uh, she's sending up some food and a dumbwaiter to this locked room in this mansion. And inside the locked room is, do you want to <laughs> take the next character and explain? A very beautiful young woman who seems to be denied a lot of things. She has a lot of stuff. She has books. She's kind of like in a beautiful minimalist prison, right? Exactly, exactly. And she's, she's got a lot of art books. She's mm-hmm. very beautiful. And she's wearing this strange body stocking. Right. Neck to, to foot with, with pantyhose that covers right. her entire body. Exactly. And she seems to want, she doesn't seem to be happy to be there. And she makes some requests that the maid denies that, and you know, and she sort of, chides her for making them, you know, that she wants a needle. Uh, she wants some scissors. And, and the maid says, you're kidding, right? So clearly there is this element of she is a prisoner of some kind, and yet she seems to have a beautiful life. Right. And so there's already there's a sense of perversity from the beginning. Like Absolutely. someone is keeping her prisoner for some reason that's very refined and strange. Absolutely. And then the second story that immediately starts to be developed, I think the first time we see him is Antonio Banderas is delivering a lecture to a medical society. Yes. About he's a plastic surgeon and he's developing a new kind of fake human skin. Right. He's a pioneer of face transplants. And we see him in the lab kind of messing mm-hmm. with this. And he claims to be experimenting with mice. 
Right. But we don't see any mice anywhere no. on the premises in his, no. in his mansion. So it turns out that he owns this fancy house where the woman is mysteriously being kept prisoner. And I can't quite remember in what order the flashbacks start happening, but then we start to get some flashbacks about Antonio Banderas's previous life. He had a wife who burned to death in a car crash. Mm-hmm. No, no, she didn't burn to right. death. She, she was badly burned. burned. Yes. He was not able to he was able to save her, but he was not able to restore her appearance. And when the first time she saw herself in a reflection, mm-hmm. she threw herself out a window. Right. I mean this this is definitely an Almodovar Absolutely. theme is this kind of melodrama and also past grief yes. that still hasn't been worked Unresolved, through. right, exactly. And his daughter, their daughter, sees her mother jump out of the window. And in a way kind of caused her mother's death because she was singing a sweet little ditty that drew her mother to the window where she saw her reflection, which led her to jump. So this messes with the child. And then then there's a later flashback, right? right? So we see the daughter Norma, somewhat grown up, a teenager maybe, uh, late teens. And uh, and there's something sort of off about her, right? right? Right. We learn that she has been hospitalized for a while. She hasn't been right since seeing her mother leap out a window right in front of her in her childhood. Right. And it's funny because the actress who plays Norma, it's almost played in a comic way. I would I would have loved to ask Almodovar about that afterwards too, because it's, she's we're sort of laughing at her crazy expressions. Her her mental yes. illness is played for laughs a little bit. A little bit. I mean, it's funny because for me, one of the again, I I apologize for moving us off the plot, but one of the strange things about this film is that there's really no comedic element. And even in very tragic, very creepy Almodovar movies, generally there has been. There's usually some comic actress who sh- turns up, does a little role, even though it's but just I a few minutes. I thought there were nods to humor. I mean, there's not really a character who's there just to, to generate laughs, and there's certainly a lot of tragic things happening. But, for example, the Tiger Man character we haven't discussed brings right. some humor into the movie. So there's this kind moment of. That's right. when yeah. at the at the at the mansion where the woman's mysteriously locked up, this guy in a tiger costume shows up at the door, rings the doorbell, and demands to be let in. It turns out that he's the son of the Marisa Paredes character, right. the, the servant. Who we learn is Brazilian. Yeah, there's, that this, comes as a shock. there's this strange thing of Brazil in the movie also that kind of – it almost as if it, it, it represents something to Almodovar. It's not the first time that Brazilian music yeah. has popped yeah. up in his movies as this yeah. kind of – you know, I mean, it's the song, the Brazilian song that drives the mother to the window, mm. right? Hearing the beauty oh, of that song. I didn't song. know that. that was yeah, a Brazilian song. Yeah, she's singing in Portuguese. Ah. And that's the same song. Well, now we're really getting right, ahead of right, ourselves. Right. But when Norma is attacked later on, that's the song that the singer is singing back at the and wedding. I didn't know. And it I sort of morphs that. from Spanish into Portuguese to the, to the end of the song. There's so many details yes, like yes, that yes, that are yes, beautifully yes. Handled. Yes. But so the, uh, the Tiger Man bursts in. It's carnival, which is not that much of a deal in Spain. It's not really true that people are wandering the streets dressed in costumes during carnival, right? Not in any places that I've been. It's like they have carnival. People do dress up, but. But he's Brazilian, the Tiger yes, Man. So, he's so maybe he's bringing his own culture right. over. He was at a party mm. of Brazilians. Who knows? Yeah. <laughs> anyway, through a series of machinations, he gets into the locked room and tries to rape the woman, the young woman in the body stocking. Right. Right. And. As he's in the process of raping her, Antonio Banderas comes home, sees what's going on, shoots the tiger man, right? And they dispose of his body that night. And that's the night that everything changes for him and the woman in the locked room. It sort of seems like rather than her her being his prisoner, they're starting to maybe become lovers. Mm -hmm. He lets her out of the room to the Mm -hmm. servant's horror. She says, Mm -hmm. you shouldn't be doing that. We still don't know how they got into the situation that she's locked in the room in the first place. So things are really crazy at that moment in the narrative. And then I think there starts to be another flashback. I think to what happened to Norma. Right. So what happens to Norma now becomes the center of the story. And it's almost right. as if the protagonist of the movie shifts after after one hour. I mean, I would say for the first hour, it's sort of Antonio Banderas, uh-huh. right? But then we start to focus on the daughter, Norma, in this, this flashback. 
and the young man Vicente who courts her at this this wedding party. So yeah, courts is a is perhaps not the most accurate. Well, he does court in her his, in his way. I suppose. Right. I guess he does sort of try to court her before he tries to rape her. Right. So in the second rape scene in the movie at this party, um, this this young guy Vicente, who's high on drugs at the time, right. takes Norma for a little walk in the gardens, and and uh, they sort of try to communicate, but they really kind of speak over each other. They don't really understand what the other means. You know, they understand the words, but they don't really connect. It's kind of a failure to communicate, which is a key Almodovar theme. And so, right. And so I guess he sort of thinks, you know, great, this girl likes me. Oh, right, because she says, I want to take all my clothes off. She says that because she's sort of a little bit wrong, right? She's a little bit off in the head and essentially is uncomfortable like a child and wants to take her clothes off. And she also says she's hot. She's taking a lot of drugs, but they're not the kind of recreational drugs that he's taken. They're... You know, psychiatric, psychiatric medication. Yeah, exactly. So they wind up in this scenario where he sort of thinks they're having sex and she is feels like she's being raped. And right. Antonio Banderas finds out that this guy attacked his daughter. Right? right. We don't actually see the scene where she tells him, but we know he must have find, found out because and he, then he goes completely off the rails, kidnaps yeah. the young man. Right. And then starts part two of the movie where I would say Vicente becomes the main character. Right. 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 Exactly. Vicente is being held, being captured by Robert, the Antonio Banderas character. And at first, he's really clueless. He doesn't know even why he's being held. He just, you and know, it really is like a horror movie at this point. Absolutely, we should is. say I he's mean, shackled in a dark. He's basement. shackled in in like what seems like a cave. I mean, it's a horrific uh, scenario, and he's and he doesn't understand why. It just it seems so random to be sent it. And then, I guess eventually, Robert communicates to him that he knows that he raped uh, Norma. And then he sort of starts to, you know, he shaves him. He prepares him for something. Uh, and then this is where kind of the real, the kind of the modern twist to this shock comes. Right. So where, Vicente wakes up in the operating room. Right, right. Right. He's chloroformed and he wakes up on an operating table. Right. He doesn't know what's happened to him. He's already undergone an operation. Yep. And as it turns out, he's been given... A vaginoplasty. Right. He's had a sex change against right. his will, which is, I mean, essentially the most horrible, abusive thing you can imagine happening to you. Certainly for a man. <laughs> what, you would be fine with getting a sex change against your will? No, but I do think that it's much more horrific to men than... To women. I mean, I don't think anybody would look forward to it, but you know, <laughs> men are particularly the know, whole castration to, fantasy. Yeah, exactly, right. exactly. So yeah, and the, the, with the, the moviegoer too, we don't quite know what to do at this point because no. Antonio Banderas is obviously not going to be our protagonist anymore. He's doing all these horrible things, but he's right. not quite the villain either, right? And because because he, he has takes this good care of Vicente, this strange gentleness toward him, right? right? You know, and he's, he he makes sure that he has everything he needs so that, that you know nothing goes wrong. You know, he. He's medically is is given all of the everything that he needs. Just you know, the dilators are, are right there for her. Now there's a scene that has humor in it. After the sex change happens, and he's essentially taken Vicente prisoner, yeah. and he's slowly over the next course of years going to convert right. him into a, an absolute double of a woman, right? In right. a way that is, of course, medically impossible. Like, how would he make his bones narrower, right? right. I mean, he turns he's a surgeon, from, but he is a slight young man, right? Yes. So, it's, and who looks a little bit like the actress Elena Anaya, who plays Vera, as he right. names right. Vicente after he's become a woman. So, yeah, I would say that that moment where there's a, there's a dissolve shot, right, and where mm-hmm. Vicente's face 
dissolves into Vera's face and you realize, oh, that's who the woman in the body stocking was. It was this man converted into a woman who's now being kept prisoner. Then the movie goes into a whole other kind of zone. I almost think of the last part of the movie as a little bit like Vertigo. It's sort of like some kind of sequel to Vertigo, right? Where Antonio Banderas himself doesn't quite know what he's doing. He doesn't know why he wants to create this Frankenstein Because she looks very much like... Double of his his wife who died. But it's almost unclear whether she's a substitute for the wife or the daughter. And it's also unclear if she really is coming to love him uh, because there does seem to be a connection. But after everything that's happened, after all the years of wanting to be released, you know, has has the art that she's been doing, the television that she's been watching, the yoga shows that she's been watching on television, have they really transformed her so that now she's happy and she and she wants to be Robert's lover, it, it's really not clear. Yeah, and it, it makes the whole movie sort of the theme of it kind of ambiguous because it clearly is a movie about surviving horrible experiences, right? right? I right. mean, in some ways, it's a movie about survival and how are you going to live through the worst thing that ever happened to you? Are you going to do what Antonio Banderas did and become this warped person who takes it out on the entire world? Or are you going to do what Vicente did, who right. in many ways becomes a better person, right? right? I mean, we don't really love Vicente when we meet him as this no. male character, right? I no. mean, he's arguably possibly a rapist. Yes. And, yeah. uh, and he's we're given the sense that he's sort of a, a lost young man. Right. He takes too many pills. He's sort of shallow. He's sort of like lost in exactly, his life. Exactly. And he, you know, he makes inappropriate advances on this lesbian who works for him, who really does seem like a nice person. And then actually for me, that was like after all of these surprises and shocks, my jaw dropped in the final scene. So in the end... Vera kills Robert and... Uh, right, after essentially yeah. one day of, yeah. Being, yeah. of being out, right? After yeah. the tiger man is killed, she's sort of let out of her prison mm-hmm. and then all of a sudden basically becomes his girlfriend yep. and there's this crazy day that he sends her out on a shopping trip with yep. Marisa Paredes and yep. says, you know, go buy yourself whatever you want to wear. She comes back in a beautiful dress that's from the shop where right. Vicente used to work, his mother's shop. And she sees, she goes into Robert's office and she sees a newspaper where, by a huge coincidence, there's a picture of all the people who've gone missing and... Vicente's face is there. So, you know, finally, in a way, she looks in a mirror when she sees Vicente and learns that his mother is still looking for him. And it seems in a way that that's the turning point. But perhaps. do you think but, that that was an odd moment to me when she sees the, the face in the newspaper? Is that when she decides that she's going to kill Antonio Banderas? It just seems like the level of you know ferocity that she would have worked up in all of those years of confinement, she certainly wouldn't have forgotten that she used to be Vicente and she wouldn't have forgotten that her, her mother was looking for her. However, so I'm not sure why that turns her around. I To me, the... the I think it's that there's another home. I mean, she does have this beautiful home here. There's that feeling of, well, if I kill them, you know, do I go back to being, will I be lost again? I mean, for a while in this weird way, she was found and she did have the things that she needed. Almost anything she needed, she could have. There were some restrictions. So, you know, what is she going to go back to? Um, But then I think when she sees that her mother is still alive and still looking for her, she just sees that there's another home that she could go to. So for me, there there was something there. But the thing that made me gasp was when so she kills Robert and uh, and Marilia, and she goes back to her mother's shop. And I thought, oh, my God, she's going to get together with Christina, the lesbian shop girl. <laughs> and to me, that was like, oh, my God. I didn't even God. think of that resolution. And, and, cause, and that moment between them in, the sh- in you know, that kind of reunion, it was much more sort of touching with her and, and Christina, the shop girl. Who- I didn't even think of the possibility. Maybe Almodovar should rethink the sink- sequel and make the lesbian <laughs> shopkeeper couple sequel to this. Well, that would, be, that would fit his pattern. You know, the ending has an odd thing about it, which I think I really liked, but it was a very unusual choice. It's that 
We never see the mother's moment of recognition. The no. very last line is "Soy Vicente," right? Right. right. And, and Vera is presenting herself to her mother, right? And uh, and we don't see her explain. She explains a little bit to Christina, yeah. the lesbian shopkeeper, beforehand. Right. But the moment that the mother comes—I mean, since Greek tragedy, right? This is the moment that you want to see: is the mother recognizing the returned son, right. and we don't get to see it. There's there's kind of a discretion and cutting away. Yeah, yeah. It's a very uh, it's a wonderful ending, I think. In some ways, I found this movie more intellectually than emotionally involving. Absolutely. Unlike all about my mother. Yes, or, um, yes. or, or Broken her, Embraces. Or Broken Embraces or, or Volver. Yeah. There are a lot of recent yeah. Almodovar movies that just had me on the floor. And yeah. this one, I never shed a tear. No, it's But there were lots cold. of moments that, that I was, you know, aesthetically kind of blown away. And one of those things for me was the music. I thought the score was unbelievably good. It's by Alberto Iglesias, exactly. who's a longtime collaborator yeah. of Almodovar. Yeah. I think this is Alberto Iglesias' sixth movie with Almodovar. And to me... Those movies are kind of the mature masterpieces. It's fancier. It's a little more sort of bourgeois, a little more classical. Old Hollywood, right? Yeah, I mean, it's exactly. almost like the Hitchcock-Herman collaboration. Absolutely. I agree. He's, the, the music really is fantastic. There were plenty of moments in this movie where I'm not sure I would have known what emotional valence the scene had if it wasn't for the music. And yes. in part, I actually blame that on Antonio Banderas, who as much as I love to look at him, and I love these working with Almodovar again for the first time in, I don't know, 20 years or something like that. But he's not the most emotionally expressive actor, which maybe makes him well-suited for this kind of psychopathic character. But I never felt like I got this guy's motivations no. at all. Although I think that was a directorial choice. I mean, there is a long history in Almodovar's movies of these very closed, shut-down men or kind of impenetrable characters whose motivations and even whose emotions we can't really read. Um, and so it fits in to a theme, but, but I agree maybe, it's but, frustrating. But, but you might need, I mean, there are actors who can get across that kind of yes. stoic restraint better. Just yesterday, I, the other movie that I saw besides this was uh, Take Shelter with Michael Shannon. And uh, and he plays a similarly you know stoic and, and steely man who rarely breaks down. But he's just a, a smart enough and, and, and complex enough actor to get across that even when his face isn't moving, there's a lot going on behind yeah, it. Yeah. And, you know, again, with all love for beautiful Antonio Banderas, with his suave style, I, I don't really get that from his face. Yeah, no, I, I agree. One of the things that really kind of freaked me out, but also was one of those like rewards of watching, of kind of immersing myself in Almodovar for the last month, was that one of the things he often does is like he he does a scene again. I mean, he basically repeats it. And the rape scene in this movie... You mean within the same movie? No, in a different movie. Okay. So like he does a scene in one movie and then you know years go by movies come in the middle and then he kind of attempts that scene again it's got you know great commonalities but it's just a little bit different and there was one of those in this film which um the rape scene uh where zeka comes and he uh the tiger man right the tiger man so in this movie he comes he ties up his mother and he rapes her boss well he he rapes the woman who she looks after while she watches in, right because there's these kind of voyeuristic cameras exactly, set up all over the exactly. house exactly in kika which i think is from 1993 a psychopath escapes from jail or wherever he's being held goes to see his sister who's a maid ties her up and then rapes her boss and it's a grotesque horror. It's like one of the worst rapes, which is like, you know, we're talking a lot here to uh, to rank. You know, it's one of the worst rapes in Almodovar movies. And to me, it's like, it's so weird that he came back to that particular horror because it's, I mean, it's a gross, horrible thing that the Tiger Man does. And yet it really does have this huge effect on the movie. In Kika, it just felt like, 
boy, you know, it's too much. It's, you, you went too far. Well, both the rape scenes in this movie have a strange equivocalness, right? Because the first yeah. one, although it's this, you know, terrible attack from this tiger man, is sort of what liberates her, mm-hmm. right? It's his breaking into the room and, and, and Tony Banderas shooting him that lets her eventually get out of the room and get free. Well, and then the second rape, first of all, the, the person who commits it then becomes the protagonist of the movie who we love by the end, right? right? The right? Vicente Vera character. Right. And secondly, it is rather unclear whether it's a rape because she kind of, they have right. these cross signals and she right. kind of withdraws her consent right. in the middle of the right. act. Right. And actually that's come up before and talked to her. Benigno rapes Alicia, the, the woman that he's caring for, who he loves. He adores her. You know, nobody could take better care right. of anyone. The hospital rape. And then that rape essentially is what wakes her up. It frees her because when she's giving birth, she loses the child, but she wakes up. And so, you know, there, there, and there are other examples, too, that there's this weird trope in his movies of rape actually having kind of positive uh, results, which is very strange and very disconcerting. But, you know, it's also kind of interesting, I guess. Yeah, this, this movie has a lot of those moments where you just don't know kind of morally or ethically how to feel about what's happening. Yeah. And I'm not sure in this movie that that always works in the movie's favor. I yeah. think it's maybe what kept me from getting emotionally involved. There wasn't really any one character, except maybe Vera by the very end, that I felt like I can get behind what this person is doing. Exactly. You know, he, he generally is really good at making psychopaths who are both loving and who we fall in love with in a sort of sl- strange, slightly distance way. And in this movie, I really didn't fall for the psychopaths. Everyone seemed rather disagreeable. And, you know, even the character who we came to love, as you say, was kind of not a nice person to begin with. Well, June, this has been an extra long spoiler special because just simply getting through plot points in this movie took a very long time. But thanks for um, helping me take it apart. I can't wait to read your your Almodovar Completus. Thank you so much for having me. Our producer is Chris Wade. The executive producer of Slate Podcast is Andy Bowers. For Slate.com, I'm Dana Stevens. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family cannolis and spins mean everything now you want to get mixed up in the family business introducing the godfather at chumpacasino.com test your luck in the shadowy world of the godfather slot someday i will call upon you to do a service for me play the godfather now at chumpacasino.com welcome to the family no purchase necessary vgw group void where prohibited by law 18 plus terms and conditions apply